Thanks, Pastor Kim. Great to be with you on this Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's. And before we go to the sermon that we have for today, before we go into the new year, I want to give you a quick little update as a church family on our season of giving. So in October, November, and December, if you are part of our church family, you've heard us share every single week that it's our goal that we collectively would give just over $2.06 million towards the ministry that God is doing on this campus and this city and around the globe. I want to give you a quick update on how we were doing. What's awesome about this, especially if you track every single day and every single week, this is actually more updated than what's in your bulletin. Uh, between now and midnight on Tuesday night, it's our goal that we as a church family would give $434,792. And you're like, oh, that's a lot of money. I'm like, yes, but we're $100,000 ahead of where we were on the same day in 2018, which is so remarkable considering especially if you've been part of our church family for a while, we fell a little behind in the month of November. So not only did we close that gap, we were ahead of where we were this time last year. And we just pray in faith that the many people that call Bel Air their church home, whether in person or online, give faithfully and we'll have an opportunity to do so towards the end of our service. You know, and it's, it's such a joy. The seat that I get to sit on. Because I feel like one of the biggest things that God needs to teach me is patience. And not only is that the topic of today's sermon, but I feel like in, in my particular role as a senior pastor of a church in North America, which it's true for almost every other church in North America, the majority of the giving comes in in the last month, the last week, the last day, the last couple of hours. So I feel like God was like, all right, I want to teach you patience. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make you a senior pastor of a large church in L.A., and I'm going to cause you to either choose to trust me or to get overwhelmed with massive goals that your church leadership has set. And so I feel like God's been refining me in this season, and I trust and pray that God is refining you. And what's also a joy is that every time I preach, Pastor Kim has this too, you know, people will come up to us after the sermon and say, that message was for me. And we know that that's not because of our eloquence or our preparation, but we totally know that's because of the Holy Spirit using us as instruments, using us as messengers, using us through our prayer and preparation to speak a word of truth into people's lives. And it's true, you know, every week there's, there's sermons that resonate with some and there's sermons that don't resonate with others. And I've got to tell you, on this Sunday, the last Sunday in 2019, as we explore what waiting at the speed of light looks like, if this doesn't resonate with you, you're not paying attention. Because in actual fact, many studies have shown that we right now are living, especially in the West, especially in North America, we're living at a point in human history where we've become the most impatient people the world has ever seen. And at the same time that we have all these great inventions, like instant rice and instant coffee, it still takes too long because you've got to heat the water up. You know, there's express lines at the grocery store, but too many people use them and they're too slow. Same day delivery sometimes takes too long. Now you can instantly download almost every book in the world if you have Wi-Fi, if you have cell coverage, sometimes that's too slow. I mean, you can instantly download almost every song that has ever 
been written. It's, it's remarkable. And at the same time, we were becoming more and more impatient. What's fascinating is long gone are the days where jeans would naturally wear a hole on their own. We don't have time to wait for that. Long gone are the days when like clean white shoes would naturally become scuffed because of memories. Long gone are those days. Now we spend hundreds of dollars on pre, you know, distressed everything. We are a culture obsessed with instant, with efficiency, with speed. And we are being torn apart as a society. Our relationships are crumbling because we're becoming more and more impatient with ourselves, more and more impatient with one another. And did you know, uh, I read this stat recently, that in the last 10 years, there are more books written about what it means to wait on God, because we're impatient with God, more books in the last 10 years on us waiting on God than all the books on that topic all the way back to the Gutenberg printing press. We're obsessed with now. And in this month of December, we've been exploring what it looks like to move, to dream, to give, today to wait at the speed of light. But I'm not talking about a certain miles per second. No, I'm talking about moving at the speed of Jesus. And if you haven't been with us in the month of December, you can go online, you can listen or watch wherever a podcast can be found, just search for Bel Air Church. And a lot of people in this December season have experienced a different rhythm of their lives because we are praying, God help me through the power of the Spirit move at the speed of Jesus. But it's not just speed, it's also velocity. We've explored this too. You know, velocity is speed with direction. And when we can have the same velocity as Jesus, when we can match the speed of Jesus, sometimes he speeds up, sometimes he slows down, sometimes Jesus waits, sometimes Jesus goes right when we want to go left or left when we want to go right. When we can match every step with Jesus through faith and trust, through the power of the Spirit, then we can actually be at rest in our relationship with Jesus. So this is waiting at the speed of light. Why don't we open up God's word to the gospel according to John. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. There's a red book in the pews in front of you or if you are in the front row, there's also a little cubby behind your leg. You can grab that red book and for the many that are joining us online this week, whether we're part of our church family around the globe or if you are traveling this week for the holidays, for Christmas and New Year's, welcome today. I'm reading out the New Revised Standard Version, and John in the red books, so the Pew Bibles, is page 862. And again, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. We would rather have that living Word of God speaking truth and hope in your life than it sit in the pews waiting until somebody else picks it up. We'll replace it as soon as you can take it. Let me read. This is the Gospel according to John, verses 1 through 18. And spoiler alert, if you haven't read this passage before, there's going to be a capitalized name, and the name is Word, W-O-R-D. Pay attention, because John begins to tell us who that person is. This is John chapter 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own His own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glories of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. This amazingly majestic section of Scripture where John, the gospel writer, speaks to the eternal nature of God the Son is also echoed in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. Other passages of Scripture talk about this truth that God the Son has always existed It's incorrect to believe that Jesus, even though he's fully God, only existed for just 33 years, or he first came into being at some date 2,000 years ago. John and Colossians and Hebrews say that God the Son has existed for all of eternity. And in case you didn't catch it, or if you haven't heard this passage, this passage says that through Jesus, all things were created. Colossians 1 says that through him and actually for him, all things were created. In fact, Colossians 1 says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that the radiance of God's glory shines through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I want you to consider this. Because God is outside of time, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit, they are not bound by time like we are, you know, you heat up the tea kettle for your instant ramen, and you got to wait. Because God is outside of time, on one hand, you could say that God doesn't have to wait the same way that we have to wait. If you can wrap your mind around this, that God is not bound by past or present or future, that God is, you could say, in the eternal now. On one hand, God is the only being in all the universe that doesn't have to wait if God wants to. 
And yet God is the most patient in the entire universe. In fact, God chooses patience. You see, we are forced to be patient. God chooses it. The speed of Jesus is the most patient one in the cosmos. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16, he describes Jesus as having perfect patience. Now let's go back to this passage real quick. And John 1, if you would open it back up. In a moment, I'm going to read verse 10. But uh, how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you have ever walked into a room, a church, a building, a group of people, where you were expecting somebody to notice you, somebody ex- to notice who you were, but you walked into that place, into that community, into that whatever it was, and nobody recognized you. Nobody knew who you were. Anybody else had that experience? Like I've had that experience? Yes. Okay, so imagine this. Now imagine, you know, we, we've had this before. You walk into this place and no one recognizes you. Now imagine, imagine if you invented something. Like some great invention, right? Some great invention that like everybody on the planet used. Now imagine if you go out and you're out in the world, you're kind of going through the neighborhood and you see somebody using your invention. You're like, oh my God, like I made that, that's amazing. And you go up and you start to talk to somebody about that thing you made and they're like, you know, and they think you're some weird stranger, stranger danger, you know, and they turn away from you and they rebuff you, you know. How would that make you feel? Now let's take it up a notch. Imagine if you... Imagine if you owned a restaurant. You know, you've, you've poured your life into this thing, a lot of money, a lot of time. Like, you know what it was like from conception in your mind all the way through the building stage, and now here we are, we've you know, had this amazing restaurant, and, and you walk into your own restaurant, and you're trying to go table to table just to greet people, and people are just kind of shooing you away and thinking you're weird. How would that make you feel? Imagine if you were like the founder of a, a school or a university, and maybe you've been away for a while, maybe the decades have gone by, but you come back and it's graduation, you're making your way, and you're just overwhelmed with the thought that you chose to invest a huge amount of your life, a huge amount of your fortune to create this university and then now hundreds of thousands have graduated from and you go to the graduation and you, 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 know, you expect people to come up to you and say thank you and everybody treats you like you're, who are you? Now scale that up as far as you can imagine and you haven't even scratched the surface of what it is like for the God of the universe who the gospel writer John says, take a look in verse 10, Jesus, he was in the world and the world came into being through him. Let's just pause there for a moment. Every heart that has ever beat in the history of humankind is a result of God the Son, the word of God made flesh. This planet that we call home, everything within it, the exact distance that we are from the sun, that great ball of fire out in the universe, the gravitational pull, all the things, all the intricacies of intelligent design that many scientists are beginning to realize, this can't be an accident, this can't be a mistake, there's too much order, there's too much beauty in all of this. John says that all of that exists because of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God who has always existed 
We know what the Big Bang sounds like. You know that? If you don't believe in the Big Bang, you should, because Scripture says this is what it sounds like. Let there be light. And from that moment, from that origin, everything came from that place, God's heart. Isn't it fascinating that God the Father creates through words, that God speaks things into existence? Isn't it fascinating that God the Son is described as the Word of God? Let there be light. Is God the Son part of creation? And what's so fascinating, though God created all things, Jesus created all things, in verse 10, yet the world did not know him. Put your mind in that place for a moment. Just in your imagination, walk with Jesus for a moment. Everything exists because of you, not just an invention, not just a restaurant, not just a university, life itself. Longing to have a relationship with these people. God has the power, I suppose. God could just snap God's fingers and change hearts, and yet God chose to be patient. I mean, consider this. God comes to humanity not as an adult, ready to go, ready to preach, ready to heal, ready to transform. He doesn't even come like as a young adult with just a few years of waiting, or a teenager with a little bit more waiting, or you know, a kid with even more waiting, or, or a toddler, or even a baby. God the Son comes even pre-baby, a little embryo. Have you considered that? What it was like for God to have to wait in the womb, to wait to be born, wait to grow, to learn, to, to walk and talk, only to then be rejected? You know, it's so fascinating when you read Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to realize that contrary to a misconception about who God is, God is actually profoundly patient. In fact, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, there's a word, erak. Let me hear you say, erak. E-R-A-K. And it's uh, sometimes translated as slow to anger. In fact, that's used 15 times throughout the Old Testament. God is constantly a God with patience. God has this ability to wait. God was patient with Adam and Eve. God was patient with Noah. God was patient with Abram. God was patient with Moses. God was patient on and on and on and on and on and on. In fact, after a while, God begins to reveal God's self as the one who is slow to anger who is steadfast, who has endurance. And so after a while, God has this reputation as being the most patient one of all when we live in a world where we don't want to be patient towards other people. We just want other people to be patient towards us. I want to show you something so fascinating. Would you turn to Jonah? I'm sure you didn't think I was going to say go to Jonah. But would you go to Jonah? 
It's tucked away between, I think, Obadiah and Micah. It's only two pages long. Maybe in the Red Pew Bible, if you get to Jonah 4, you might shout out the page number. 752. Thank you, thank you. So a quick little backstory on Jonah. A lot of people maybe overly focus on a whale? Three days? How could that be? And they miss the bigger story of what God is actually doing. You see, God commands this prophet named Jonah to go, to leave his home, to go to a place called Nineveh. Now, historians and scholars have actually discovered and actually believe that Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria at that point in human history, was the most barbaric, the most violent, the most awful society that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Many historians say that you can actually compare different moments in time and different just awful dictatorships, and if you compare them to Nineveh and that time and place, that none of those things would compare to how awful and the atrocities that came out of Nineveh. And here you have a God that is slow to anger, yet always is a God of justice. Says to Jonah, I want you to go to this awful place, this God-forsaken place, and I want you to share who I am so that they would come to know me as the one true God. And so what does Jonah do? No thanks, God. And he goes to Tarshish. In the midst of that, God does the whole thing and by way of whale, takes them. And if you look at a map, it's a really long way from Tarshish all the way to Nineveh. Finally gets to that place. And so finally, God says again, I want you to go and I want you to share who I am with the Ninevites. Take a look at this. Actually, go back to chapter 3, Jonah 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. It goes down, and it says that the great nation, the great capital of Nineveh, repented, which means they turned from their evil ways, and they turned to God. And it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. He extended grace. He extended mercy. Now listen how Jonah responded. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became very angry. How many of you were here, I think it was last week when I shared the story how in my neighborhood there's somebody that drives down the street like 50, 60 miles an hour and literally revs their engine when they go past. Do you remember that? And in my flesh, how hard it is for me to, to have good thoughts towards that person and how... If you were here last week, I shared that Jesus says that when we have anger towards someone, when we call someone a fool, that it's actually as if we've murdered them in our hearts and how I've murdered this person day after day as they rev past my house. I remember, remember I shared that. 
I don't want God to be patient with that person in my flesh. How many of you show of hands have, you know, and this takes a lot of courage in a public place, and I get that. Uh, How many of you secretly hope that God would rain down vengeance upon somebody else because you were so upset with them? Anybody had that? Okay, we are an honest group here. Okay. So we can relate with Jonah. God forgives what seems to be the unforgivable. God is patient with the ones that Jonah would say, you, you, no, no, you shouldn't be patient with them. And why do I spend so much time on Jonah on the last Sunday of December? Take a look at this. Verse two, he, this is Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this why I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Jonah knows who God is. Jonah knows that the very fabric and the nature of God is patience. A slow to angerness. The Greek word for this is macrothumia. Can I hear you say macrothumia? It's two words crammed together. Macro is kind of like long, long view. It's the opposite of microthumia or thumos is the same root word as one of my favorite Greek words of all time, homothumadon. Thumos means passion, long passion, long suffering. A lot of linguistical scholars say that it gives the image of something that is slow to boil. It's the opposite of quick-tempered, flying off the handle. And so Jonah knows that God is a patient God, one who is slow to anger. And because of that, he was unwilling to go to the people that he didn't want God to be patient towards. He was unable, Jonah was, to extend the same type of patience to other people that God could. He wasn't able to be patient. He wasn't able to wait at the speed of light. He waited at his own pace. He was patient at his own pace, and he was patient only with those he was willing to be patient towards. Are there people in your life that God is calling you to be patient towards for the sake of God's love, for the sake of God's mercy, for the sake of God's glory? You see, this isn't just about being patient with things, being more patient at the grocery store, being more patient with, you know, something that's about to arrive. This is about ultimately having a heart of God that has the same sort of patience to those around us, even those that are completely unlike us. Like I said, that slow to anger, that word Iraq is found 15 times in the Old Testament. The macrothumius is uh, 25 times in the New Testament. What's so fascinating, from beginning to end, God is completely patient. And, and Peter says, why? You remember Peter? You know, the guy that denied Jesus three times publicly? The one who turned his back on Jesus when Jesus needed him the most? After Jesus went to the cross and defeated death and rose from the grave, Jesus demonstrated that long-suffering, that macrothumios, and came to Peter, and he forgave him. 
He said, I know you've turned your back on me, but, but this is grace. This is my love. Remember, in that great 1 Corinthians 13 list of the definition of love, it, you know, it's read at weddings all the time. Love is patient, begins with that. So that love of God comes to Peter with complete patience and completely reframes his heart, reframes his mind and sends him out as an early leader of the church. And he actually writes something so fascinating. And he writes it, I believe, in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 16. And he says, this God has been patient with me. And you've got to understand the nature of who this God is. In fact, I want to show this to you. Would you open up your Bibles? Would you go to 1 Peter? It's towards the end of Scripture. And it's 1 Peter 3. Actually, it's 2 Peter 3. Forgive me. You're almost there if you get to 1 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 8, says this. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you. Well, why? Why why does God choose patience? Why doesn't God just, you know, snap God's fingers and just make it happen? Again, God doesn't have to be patient. God chooses patience. God doesn't have to wait. God chooses to wait. And Peter says, here's why. God doesn't want any to perish. God wants all to come to repentance. God's heart is to be with you. God's heart is for you to know who you really are in God's eyes. God longs so much for you to see what your true identity, your true purpose, your true meaning in life is. And God loves you so much that he'll be so patient with you in the midst of you going your own way. He's got eternity as God's timetable. God's got all the time in the world. And so he chooses to enter into human existence in the slowest, the most inefficient way possible, as an embryo and then a baby to then grow up. He chooses to die on the cross. You think that's efficient? From God's view, yes. And what's so amazing is there's this truth, there's this this amazing profound sense that we can't be patient like God is patient. It's impossible. And here's what Jesus says to all of his followers. He says, I want you to wait because I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And in every description of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, it says that patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you want to grow in your ability to be patient like Jesus is patient, you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to grow in you in such a way that some of the fruit that is born is patience. 
And Jesus longs for us to have a view of eternity, have a view of ourselves, a view of God, a view of each other with the same patient, long-suffering, loving, slow-to-boil view that God does. In the same way that we love because God first loves us, the Spirit of God can help us to be patient as God is first patient with us. During this sermon series in December, I've been introducing different spiritual practices, different spiritual disciplines for us to consider how we might grow in these ways. Here's one that I have for you as we end 2018, and I've been practicing it all December, and I'm terrible at it. I frankly hate it. It's not fun at all. Uh, It's exposing how impatient I am. Here's Here's the spiritual discipline. Choose the most inefficient way forward possible. Now this works really well when you're driving. And here's what I've done. Complete opposite of what I normally do. Red light, right? Multiple lanes, choose the longest line. (laughs) Grocery store, self-checkout, express lane, or you've got the newbie getting trained and the line is around the corner, I'm gonna go to that line. I'm telling you, here's what's happened in December. I'm literally, I'm choosing the slowest route. And I'm doing this when I'm alone. I'm not, I'm not forcing my family you know, or friends into this. I'm choosing the slowest route. And it's exposing actually how impatient of a person I am. And as it exposes how impatient I am and I begin to get frustrated and begin to well up inside me, it makes me realize, wow, I'm a lot like Jonah. It's all about me. And there's a bigger work that God wants to do, but I'm, I'm so impatient about it that, I, that I'm completely missing it. And I begin in my impatience, in the uncomfortability, in the frustration, all of a sudden I begin to consider, wow, I wonder what God feels like and how patient God is with me in all the ways that I am living contrary to what his heart is for me. I begin to realize in that moment that, wow, I, I actually, I've received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I can pray right now, Spirit of God, would you bear the fruit of patience in my life? Help me just to see who's around me. Rather than getting so obsessed with how long it's taking, what if, and my wife loves it when I do this, what if I start asking people around, how's your day going, you know? You have no idea what God has done in this month. And it's spilled over. I find myself more patient with my two-year-old and my seven-year-old and my wife and my family and, and, and my friends and, and, and coworkers. And I find that I'm more patient with God. I'm beginning to see that there is this, this long view that God has, as Romans 8.28 says, that God is working together all things for good according to to God's purposes for whom God loves. But there's things that don't make sense in my life and there's things that I don't understand and the last thing I want to do is wait, but if I just pause and if I reflect on how patient God is and how he chooses patience, that I too can choose patience in that moment and that I can ask the Holy Spirit to bear that fruit in me, I'm telling you, every single one of you has something that is profoundly causing you to 
to have your heart grate against the fabric of time in your life because you are so impatient for that thing. Whatever that thing is, that is getting in the way of your relationship with God. Whether it's getting that job, having that relationship status, moving into that zip code, getting that recognition, having that reputation, getting back to that health, whatever that thing might be, and you might be frustrated in the midst of it, God says, no, no, no. I want to meet you in the midst of this. And because I'm not a God that snaps my fingers for everything and everyone, I want to do a work in your heart so that you become transformed more and more into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I used to have this view, and I'll end with this, that one day in heaven, in God's presence, that everything would be instantaneous. You know, in my immaturity, in my, you know, self-centered, I want it now sort of view, I I literally projected that onto what I thought heaven was going to be like. And I used to think like, oh my gosh, if I want cake, it's there. If I want this, it's there. If I want this, it's there. It's, It's there. As I've matured, not because of time, but as the Spirit of God has helped me understand more about what God says about heaven, I'm beginning to now wonder if there is nothing in heaven that's instant. I wonder, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if nothing in heaven is instant. In fact, Isaiah 2 talks about how one day all the nations of the earth will come before the Lord and the Lord will begin to teach all of them his ways. It doesn't say God will instantly download to all the nation his ways. The Lord will begin to teach. It then goes on to say that there will be disagreements and the Lord God will arbitrate among the nations. The process of reconciliation takes time. It takes patience. Isaiah 2 Again, talking about the new heavens and the new earth also says that one day we will take our swords, our tools of destruction, tools of war, and they will be transformed into plowshares. That's agricultural language. Can you picture the new heavens and the new earth where you have to plant your food? That you have to water your food? that you have to grow your food, that you have to harvest your food, the things that our society has outsourced to everything else so we can have right here, right now, even when it's out of season, because, oh, yeah, we can get strawberries from Chile even though it's, it's it, you know, we've, we're going to do all of that there, and yet we'll never be impatient. There will be joy in the waiting We will experience the glory of all that God longs for us just to be with us. As time, whatever that looks like in God's presence, slowly unfolds. We'll never be hurried. We'll never be impatient. And Jesus says, I want the kingdom of God that is in heaven, I want it to be experienced here and now. And so church, as we begin 2020, and if you're a visitor here, as you go back home, Would you choose to wait at the speed of light? 
Would you choose to pray, Holy Spirit, would you bear in me a type of patience that enables me to move through whatever thing is going on in my life at your speed, Jesus? And may would I grow more into who you would have me to be? And would you use me for your kingdom purposes here and forevermore? Let's pray. Jesus, as we end this year, 2019, I imagine many thoughts come to mind across the spectrum of this room. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you meet every single one of us where we are. As it says in the book of Romans, that the Spirit of God intercedes for us in ways that we don't even know how. So God, I thank you for being a patient one with me, with us. I thank you that your patience is always with a purpose. And as it says in Philippians 1, 6, that God, you who begin a good work always will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Help us to have your view, God, through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.